Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. First Thessalonians and also Acts chapter 7. We'll begin with 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1 says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And then in order for us to understand 1 Thessalonians, we have to go to Acts 17. Acts 17, 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, that's three weeks, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and Taking with them some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men, oh, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are acting against the decrees of seers, saying, there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they then let them go. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all can take a seat. That's so good. Good morning, church. Let's do it one more time like we do every week. Good morning, church. All right, there she is. Uh, So excited to be here. My name is Corey. If you're new in the room, I'm one of the teaching pastors. You get to be a teaching pastor this week as we open up 1 Thessalonians, uh, starting with Acts 17. We want to get context uh, before we ever just dive in to something. And so we're kicking off this summer series, in case you missed it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, taking a a break from what was called Lest We Turn. We'll pick that back up uh, in the fall, beginning with 1 Samuel. If you, uh, on your way in, you should have received just one of these little journals. We just want to give you uh, a little gift. Thank Aaron Cranston for picking this up. There's also uh, in that some, if you look on the first page right here, just some questions that we go through uh, on Tuesdays as we're preparing sermons, uh, liturgy, songs, uh, everything that we, we do on a Sunday has great intentionality. It flows together. You should feel that. So uh, what is scriptures being preached? Acts 17. What's the big idea? It's coming at you in a minute. What characteristics of God do we learn about? What sin or sins are revealed in the text? How is Jesus better than said sins? And then how does grace uh, free you to respond. Just some simple questions. So the hope is that just throughout the summer uh, that this little book in concert with God's Word and uh, the gathering, we just kind of help us be united, maybe take some notes on that, something you can reflect back on, or, or maybe God will give it to you again in five years as you open a box up and you see it in there and it'll speak to you uh, even at that point. And with that, we have four men uh, from our preaching cohort that are going to be taking you through First uh, Thessalonians, which is incredible. And so Justin is up next week. He was here last service, and so we came in and laid hands on him and prayed over him, and it was awesome. And so you guys, and your goal is just to encourage those men. 
uh, and be praying because they're about to hit some intense spiritual warfare over these next two months for sure and everything they do. And so <clears throat> today I get the cool, great, incredible opportunity to introduce to you uh, Thessalonians through uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. So before we do that, uh, let me, let me kind of usher us in uh, to that. If you saw on, on social media, I had this incredible opportunity to go to Colorado. I don't know about you, but I'll choose the mountains over the ocean literally uh, any day of the week. And so I get to go. Got to go with uh, three of our, my brothers that go to church here. We went, we drove out, we drove back uh, Friday. And, uh, and while we were there, there was this moment for all of us, uh, really, where we were just standing down in this valley. Uh, there's this little river stream burning through. Uh, and I said, my eyes shut. And uh, I remember the, like, you kind of see the red of the sun with your eyes closed and feel the heat on your face. And there was this beautiful wind, this breeze coming through. And then you could hear the water moving. And, and literally, it literally brought me to tears. Uh, I was just sitting there just in tears, just rolling down my cheek, just basking in the glory of God, not worshiping creation. We don't worship creation. We most certainly worship the God of creation. And as I was sitting there, just really like taking in all of this, all the feels of being down there, I was just thinking like, there is a, a worship set happening that does not involve a guitar and drums. And, and it was most certainly, it was just creation crying out to the glory of God in that moment. And the scriptures say, like, if we fail to cry out to the glory of God, the rocks, listen, the boring old rocks, you hear me? The rocks will cry out to the glory of the Lord. And so we just sat there just in that moment, and we were just kind of processing through and talking about it uh, together. And what was even more stunning than the creation is just the reality that God, for whatever reason, in his mercy, um, in all his wisdom, has chosen to create us as, human as, as humanity as part of that creative order. Uh, not like the rocks and not like the river and not like the breeze, but, but in his image. And he's created us for a specific pur purpose, and that is most certainly to worship him. But in worshiping him and through worshiping him, he's designed us to share the same message of the rocks, but to the rest of humanity. And that message is the gospel. And so what led me to worship there in that moment was not just a river and stream and breeze, although how beautiful of the Lord to create a breeze. Like who would have thought Let's create a breeze. Let's just create wind, and it will, it will exalt my glory. Who would have thought that? Only God would think like that. It's just so crazy. Um, but many designs us in the Imago Dei so that we can share the same story that creation shares, and is that everything is pointing to King Jesus, our need for Jesus, his love towards us, our undeserving, the undeserving grace and mercy that we get given. And, and in that, then, it is worship. Listen, it is worship that drives us to share the gospel. There's a right understanding of who, God's is, who God is and who we are in his place that leads us to share the gospel. And that's important because this. Mission is about sharing the story of God, the gospel. And in this room, this room is no different than the context that, we, that we're going to get into here for Paul when he's in the synagogue teaching to the religious, just as I'm here in the synagogue teaching the religious. It's the same which means the same people groups exist. So for Paul, right, there were skeptics. In this room, there are also skeptics. And what I mean when I say skeptics is there are people in this room, they, they, they don't know what they believe about Jesus. They've not found a, a place, like they don't know. Like maybe think about God, maybe there is a God, I maybe like to believe in God, but I just, ha I just don't know about that. In this room, there are skeptics that exist. And so for the skeptic that is here, I would say, thank you. Uh, continue pouring in, continue showing up, step into a missional community, ask questions, like ask direct good questions, kind of upset the fruit basket, if I may, right? Like come and learn while you're here. You with me? 
Like, be, get into the community with us and figure it out. Come, come here. Thank you for coming. You could be anywhere in the world, and yet you chose to be here. So thank you for being here, uh, even those that are not in the room. Just like in Paul's context, there's also seasoned Christians that would be uh, within that context. And so for us, we have seasoned Christians in this room. And here's what's interesting. Uh, for the first time throughout during COVID, uh, season of COVID we're in, we had what's called transfer growth. If you don't know what that means, that's where Christians come from another church into your church. Now, more often than not, we don't trust that scenario, to be completely transparent with you, because we've never had transfer growth. 90% of the people that come through our doors of our church, we've met through missional community, the primary way that we make disciples. That means we met them at CrossFit, or we met them at Jiu-Jitsu, or at the marketplace, or in the, at work. Like, we meet people, we get to know them, we share the gospel with them, we show them what the gospel looks like, they, speak, they move from skepticism to faith, and they become a part of the church. That's what we've seen for seven years. Year after year, it's been incredible. So to have transfers, we were like, what is that? What are y'all, what are y'all doing here? You know, like this is, to be honest, it's new for us. But here, here's why I share this. I don't know what you've been taught. But what I do know is culture and language creates culture. And so I understand this. When I say the word mission, you have a lot of different things you might think about. When I say the word gospel, you have a lot of different things that you might think about. So if I say mission, you might think, oh, man, it must be Mission Sunday, and we're sending out some global missionaries, so this is just the week to preach on mission. No, it's not how we roll. We just talk about it regularly and often. When I say the gospel, you might think just Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or some track that your pastor gave to you and told you you need to go share it with your coworkers. I don't, I don't know what you've been taught. I know enough to know that. You might think when you hear mission, oh, man, we just need to get them to Sunday. Just invite people to Sunday, and then the experts, then they can share the gospel that's not what I'm, I'm not inviting you to even share, to, to, I'm not inviting you to invite people on Sunday. What I'm saying is this, I'm thankful that you're here, but we've got to do some unpacking on what language means. And so because we've had so much transfer growth, we're literally throughout the whole rest of the year bringing everything back in our sermons, in our liturgy, everything that we're doing is to be tailored towards all the new folks that have been in here that hear these words, but don't actually have the right context for those words, because that's the way that culture works. There's also then Christians in the room, seasoned Christians, Listen, that have kind of been uh, misplaced or misguided throughout COVID, maybe for real genuine reasons, maybe for uh, reasons that were in sin. We're thankful that those folks are coming back. We also need to kind of redeem some of what they have lost throughout the last year. We have seasoned Christians in the room as well that for whatever reason, whether it's COVID or whatever else, when it comes to living on mission or walking out missional community, listen, are just being willfully disobedient. So we have seasoned, professing Christians in the room that have said, just in their heart, they know when it comes to something like the Great Commission or missional community or learning more about the scriptures, they're just not going to do that. Hear me say this to you very clearly. That is willful disobedience, and it is sin, and you need to repent of that because the Great Commission still stands whether you do it or not. And what you need to know right now is whether you choose to live on mission or not, the rocks will cry out to the glory of God. He will raise someone up in your place and in your stead and advance his mission. And you can either be a part of turning the world upside down on its head or not. That's the story of the Bible. Okay, and so today is very important that we must wrap our minds around this reality that regardless of where you set, in skepticism, seasoned Christian, seasoned Christian that does nothing, seasoned Christian that's been redeemed, listen to me, it's important that we understand anytime we abstain from sharing the gospel, it is because we are choosing to worship self. We're worshiping ourselves and our kingdom and our story and our stuff. We've not actually surrendered and worshiped the true living God of creation, even though the rocks have. And so the big idea is this. 
Mission exists because worship does not. Mission exists because of worship does not. This is stolen from John Piper. He probably wrote it before I was alive at some point. And, and he says, mission exists because worship does not. And so I'm going to use this as the big idea. And what he was saying within the context of his book was that Christians have effectively stopped worshiping God. And because Christians have stopped worshiping God everywhere that they are, we actually then have to send missionaries out to share the gospel. But if Christians would just worship God, I mean, just worship Jesus for being Jesus, it would be so contagious and such an apologetic for the gospel that non-Christians would come to us. They would come and say, man, you think differently and you act differently and the way you respond to culture is so different, it's so attractive, what is it? And they would allow us then just in that moment to say, dude, let me tell you all about Jesus. Let me share the gospel with you, the story of God. And so he would say, mission exists. We have to send missionaries out because Christians, by and large, have effectively stopped worshiping. Does that make sense? That's heavy, dude. Isn't that heavy? No one else thinks that's heavy? I'm the only one. Okay, cool. Well, then I'll preach this thing to myself, church. <laughs> Three points to unpack this for you. Uh, gospel intentionality, gospel fluency, gospel response. We're going to begin with gospel intentionality. Verse 1 says this, <clears throat> Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, which is where we're going to be getting to over the coming weeks, where there was a synagogue, like a church of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, it's about a week, it is a week, three weeks, sorry, three weeks, he reasoned with them. And so the first thing that we see in the text is that without intentionality, listen, it doesn't really matter what you know about the Bible. Uh, you can know the gospel, you can know who Jesus is, you can know the story of God, you can, you can, kinda, you can have a master's degree like me in theology and be pursuing you know, all these other things. Listen, it doesn't matter if you don't have any intentionality behind it. Paul starts off here, right, and he goes to the Jews. He cares about who he goes to and he cares about where he goes to and who he's sharing with. And, and so as we're looking at, this is Paul's second missionary journey. He's entering into a place, of the region of Macedonia. He's in a town of Thessalonica. It was, a, it was like the New York City of their time. Super transient. It was a port city, highly diverse. There were thousands of gods. Listen, thousands of gods of creation that they would worship. It's called pantheism. They would worship all these different gods that allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do and made them feel good about themselves. And Paul comes into this region. And isn't it interesting that while Paul could have went to anywhere in the region to talk to anyone who worshiped any god, he goes to the religious. He goes into the temple. He goes to his people. Where do you think Paul would go if he came into America right now? He'd go to the church, wouldn't he? A lot of time, a lot, and be like, what are y'all doing? You just look like them. And so he goes to the religious, to his people, to his family. I think that's so interesting. And in that, there's this level of intentionality that we see, gospel intentionality that we see, where he cares about who he goes and where he's going. And he's not, he doesn't just have all the degrees and read all the books and have all the theology and then do nothing with it. He takes it to his people. He takes it to his family, right? If we're not willing to utilize the spaces that God naturally has us in, if we're not willing to reorient our lives within those spaces and those places and with those people, listen, it doesn't matter what we know. It doesn't matter what we believe. It doesn't matter if we have faith because we're not doing anything with it. So Paul enters into this, um, this region and he goes to his family. He literally goes into a place similar to his own workplace to preach the gospel to his covenant family, the Jews. 
And I love that because, man, that leaves us without excuse. How many times have you heard someone say, or maybe you've said, uh, family is the hardest to talk about God with, and your whole family will be a professing Christians. How does that make sense? Romans 8 says we're all heirs and co-heirs in Christ Jesus. doesn't make any sense. Or you hear someone that will say something like, uh, I'm just worried about talking about Jesus at work because I might get fired. Do you not know anything about the apostles? <laughs> they all died martyrs' deaths. Pick up your cross and follow me. It was not a euphemism for something else. It literally meant pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your instrument of torture and death and walk the ways that I walked. It's literally what it means. It was not a metaphor for something else. Paul enters in and he goes first to his people in a place similar to his workplace to preach the gospel to his family. Listen, I'm scared of rejection. Listen, knowing that they would reject having no doubt in their mind that they would reject. What are we seeing here? There's this intentionality to him. There's a reorientation of his life around people that need to hear about Jesus. We used to have this line that I would say all the time. I'm full of one-liners, so I do big ideas all the time and, uh, for our sermons. And, and I used to have this line when we first started Heights, and I, I would say, um, try not to add anything new to your life. Just be intentional with what you already have. And some of you that have been with me the whole time, like, see, I can, can't see everyone because the lights. I see Whitney. She's like, that don't work. That don't work. I know. I know. And so I used to say, try not to add anything new. Just be intentional with what you already have. And one day, uh, <laughs> Whitney's husband, Jeff, who's a pastor here on staff, just led us through an incredible worship set. He set me down. He said, bro, you can't say that anymore. That's a lie. And I was like, why? why? And he's like, dude, if we're truly walking out missional community, as we've been trying to do, uh, it changes everything about your life. He's like, you can be intentional with the things you already have, but then as relationships grow or as resources are needed, it actually forces you, missional community, gospel community forces you to add more stuff to your life. You're not allowed to say that anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we're just figuring this thing out, bro. I don't know. It's, just, it's a catchy one-liner, you know? I've heard someone over here say, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's good. It's a lie, okay? It's a lie. That's what it actually is, right? Because listen, if you're, if, if you're going to walk out life as a missionary in missional community, as gospel community. Listen, the gospel changes everything. It forces you to change literally everything. You got to change the way you think about gymnastics now as you're sitting there in the bleachers watching your kid do gymnastics. You got to change the way you think about the soccer field when you're sitting there with parents, whether or not you're going to invite them into your home at some point throughout that season or not. When you're sitting at the baseball field, the baseball field now becomes a, a mission field. You don't have to go all the way to Indonesian Africa. Not that that's not important. We love global mission, but you have a mission field right here, four out of five people in the Metro East don't know who Jesus is. Four out of five. Four out of five people, 80%, don't know. You can just step outside the door and you can share the gospel. The gospel literally changes everything. However, we're called to be intentional with what God has already given us and knowing it's going to shift and shape some things. For, for example, further illustrate this, um, I enjoy fitness, uh, not as much as David Seaton, as you can tell, but I do enjoy fitness, okay? I don't talk about it as much. I did do CrossFit for five years. I just don't talk about it uh, as much. Love CrossFit. Got out of CrossFit. I uh, started doing jujitsu. Uh, both of those things I started doing just to hang out with non-Christians, right? Don't, don't trust a pastor that don't hang out with non-Christians, okay? And so started CrossFit to hang out with non-believers, started jujitsu uh, five months ago uh, to start hanging out with, with people that were not yet Christians. And, and now here's the point. I've not added a new category to my life. I enjoy fitness. I enjoy being outdoors. I enjoy those things. What I've tried to think through is how does the gospel lead me to be intentional with the desires that God has already given me? Does that make sense? 
Okay, and so I stepped into jujitsu five months ago, one of the newest people there, so that means I get beat up literally all the time, okay? If you ever want to come up and hit your pastor, just know other dudes do it all the time, sometimes even ladies, and it's a terrible experience, okay? But I've had to reorient my life to do that, right? I've had to, I have to drive to Pontoon Beach now, 20 minutes there, 20 minutes back. That's an hour of your time. That's a lot of time. I have to reorient when I meet with you all throughout the week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I don't meet with you all during lunch during that time because I'm going to go hang out with non-Christians, right? I need time with them as well, sometimes more time um, with them. So I met this cool prison guard, though, that I get to roll with, and we had a conversation one day uh, about his job and what he does in in corrections. And and he's telling me all about his job, and I was sharing a little bit about my story with him. And I said to him, I said, bro, the the only difference between me and the, the guys you get paid to watch is that I never got caught. And he was like, oh, yeah? <laughs> so, then we, so then we really get into my story. And if you know me, you know my story's a little wild. Uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so we start talking about that. And he, then he says this to me. He said, yeah, but you chose to do better. You know, that's what I tell my guys, you know? They can just choose to do better. Uh, and I looked at him, and I said, no, man, I did not choose to do better. Jesus Christ radically saved me from a life of sin. And then he commenced to choking me out, okay? And so... <laughs> That was our day. And that's all the time I had. I didn't have the time to sit down and share the gospel, you know, and do all these things. But what I have been is this. I've been available for the last five months. John Myers and I even went to a, a Fuji tournament, well, two and a half hours away, just to spend time with those dudes. And so, right, the gospel will lead you to a whole new gospel intentionality. You don't want to add much new to your life. Just ask the Lord, what do you already have? Like, what have you already given me a desire to do? And then how do I use that thing and reorient my life around those people? And then, no, it's going to cost, right? 160 bucks a month to do this. It's going to cost gas to go there. It's important, though, because you have to surround yourselves with folks that are not yet Christians. Let me ask you this. Actually, let me share this. That guy that I shared that with, I thought he was going to cancel me. That's what our culture does. Um, he invited me to his house. It was an hour drive on a Sunday night. Totally terrible drive. It's the worst. And then we get into some stuff there talking. And then he invited me to serve him. And I show up, and the job was already done. I didn't get frustrated about that. I said, okay, cool. Because when Levi invites you over, if you know your Bible, you go to his house. You know what I'm saying? I share that because I want to get to this question here. I want you to challenge you. Do people who are not yet Christians invite you into their home or not? Like, do folks in your life who are not yet believers invite you into their home, listen, because you've been intentional with them? Do they, do you see them reorienting their life around you because you have reoriented your life around them? It's a good challenge. The answer to that question, yes or no, will tell you whether or not you have gospel intentionality, whether or not you are willing to share the gospel with those folks. You still tracking? It's a challenging question, yeah? Verse two says this, second point, gospel fluency. Gospel fluency, second point. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, it's about three weeks, he reasoned with them from the what? He reasoned with them from what? Okay, one more time. Reasoned with them from the what? Okay, so he preaches the gospel from the scriptures, not from a self-help book, not from a YouTube video, not for some TikTok message he found. From the scriptures, verse 3, explaining, listen, and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And this is so important because there's so many people that say, well, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know what the gospel is. I know. This is why we're doing this, why we're dialing everything 
back, my number one quarrel I have with the church in America is that at some point, pastors stop preaching and teaching the gospel, like as the story of God. And so we're going to clear that up for you now. So Paul reasons from the scriptures. What, talk to me, what scriptures would those have been? Be what? Out of the Old Testament, right? So he was preaching and teaching out of the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He would have been using like the Psalms and preached his face off out of the scrolls of Isaiah in that moment, right? He's like preaching the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. So for those Christians in America now, they're like, well, I'm not a an Old Testament Christian. I'm a New Testament Christian. There's 474 references to the Old Testament in the New Testament, one of them being one of them. Do you think maybe Paul saw that or Jesus preaches from the Old Testament? Maybe people should stop saying that, right? 474 references in there, right? Let me, let me teach you. Can I teach you something while I got the mic? Let me teach you something. So this is the Bible. Okay, that's good. Step one, it opens, okay? There are 66 books in the Bible, okay? 66 individual books. But the Bible is what we call a meta-narrative, fancy word, a meta-narrative. That means that it is 66 micro books within a macro book, a meta-narrative. Listen, every single word of this thing, every story, every scripture, every name, every person, every moment, every millisecond that you have this open and you're reading through it, all it is telling you is the necessity for Jesus Christ. That he has come. It's the gospel. It's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not just a track that someone has given you to tell you to walk someone down a Roman road. It is the story of God. Every single aspect of this points to the gospel. So when we say gospel at Heights Community, we mean the whole story from creation to new creation all the way through eternity. That's the gospel. That's what we mean when we say that. Let me uh, sum it up for you like this. Beth, if you could throw that up for me. There's a slide on there that says creation, rebellion, redemption, and reconciliation. Gospel story goes like this. Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. Everything's created perfect in harmony, shalom, in the image of God. Genesis 3 then is the rebellion. It's the fall of humanity. Whenever Adam and Eve rebel, they don't just fall. They rebel against God the Father. Sin enters into the cosmos. Everything is shattered. In all of creation, across the whole entire universe, in Genesis 3, because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve, they break relationship with God. It's not distorted. People say it's a distorted relationship. It's not a distorted relationship. They broke relationship with God and humanity, which means how do we get back? We got to get back into relationship with God. We got to get back into the presence of God. Well, then you have redemption, Genesis 3, whenever God promises to send his son from her offspring will come the one who will crush the serpent's um, head. It will bruise his heel. That is the, the promise of Jesus in Genesis 3. He, he doesn't just show up in the Gospels in the New Testament. He's right there and all throughout, woven all throughout. Genesis 3, 4 is called redemptive history. So we call it redemption. And it all points to Jesus' life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his second coming, reconciliation, second coming. What's he going to do? He's going to restore everything back the way that it was. Every single thing that was distorted and tainted because of sin will simply become untrue, C.S. Lewis says. Everything you fear will become untrue. That is the gospel as a story. It is our responsibility then to know this book and how everything in here fits into this meta-narrative. It's called being story-formed. You and your missional communities just did story-formed way for this reason. Everything we do has intentionality in the gospel. 
This is so important for us. Gosh, I hope you're half as excited as I am about this. Leave this, leave this slide up for me. Beth, I had the incredible opportunity, I'm trying to be super practical this Sunday. Uh, I had an incredible opportunity four weeks ago. My wife graduated grad school. Praise the Lord. That part's done. She's got to take boards, be in prayer for her about that. She'll be an NP when she's done, nurse, nurse, nurse practitioner. Uh, three and a half hours in a hotel room, five atheists and me, leading the gospel. And I got to, man, I get so, it's just like, oh, it's my happy place. I just love it so much. We're, we're sitting there and we're talking three and a half hours. We get to sit there and talk with them. The, the, the conversation kind of starts like this. One of the individuals said, I want Jesus in the New Testament, but I don't want the, the God of the Old Testament. He's tyrannical. I want the, God, the Jesus of the New Testament, not the God of the Old Testament. He's tyrannical. And I looked back at Andrea because she was sitting behind me. I said, uh, I said uh, can I do this thing? She gave me the nod. Oh, it was on like Donkey Kong in that mug. It was so much fun. Three and a half hours. That is like my favorite place. To, I love worldview and I love culture and I love the gospel. So much fun. So much fun. Do you know what I did? Do you know what I talked about? For those who are like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say in those moments. You know what I talked about? Joshua. The book of Joshua. Practically the whole entire time. I just reasoned and encouraged and, and brought forth, you know, arguments from the Old Testament, like Paul is doing in the synagogue, from the book of Joshua. I, wrote, I literally said, I started with this. I literally said, um, I said, first, I need you to know they're the same. And then the whole table was like, Shoo. I was like, oh, dear, Lord. <laughs> you cut that tension with a knife, dude. You get that. It was so much fun. Anyway, and I said, I said, first, what you need to know is that God created all of humanity perfect. Humanity rebelled against God. They deserved death. And God said, hey, I'm not going to kill you, which is what you deserve. Instead, I'm going to kill my son uh, in your place. And then I'm going to do all the work necessary to recreate the garden so you can spend eternity there. That's the gospel. What? Ten seconds? That's the whole gospel. And they're like, huh. I said, and as, the same thing I ask you, do you have a context for that sort of love? Same, I've asked in the sermon how many times. Do you have a context for that type of love? They all at the table said, no, we most certainly do, do not. And I said, well, here's the deal. All of the anger that you think you see in the Old Testament, because you don't actually, you've not read the Old Testament, all the anger that you think you see in the Old Testament, all that wrath, all that frustration, do you know that that's what, get poured, that's what gets poured out on God's son, Jesus? And then I used the same illustration that I used in Joshua with you in light of a marriage, if you were here that day, and I said, you can sum up the whole Old Testament by picturing a wedding day. And you have a bride and a groom down here at the front of the church. And in the moment of the wedding, the bride, yeah, sorry, you have a bride and someone who's not the groom, bride and someone who's not the groom down here at the end of the church committing adultery. And then you have a groom who's the actual groom coming down. He sees this. He sees this taking place down there at the end of the aisle. And he walks all the way down the aisle and looks at them in the midst of them committing adultery, cheating on him, right? Bride, soon to be bride cheating on him, looks at the bride and says, I do. I'm all in. Whatever it takes to win you back, I'm going to model that level of grace, that level of love, that level of sacrifice. I'm going to model that for you. I looked at them again and said, do you have any context for that sort of love? And they said, no, absolutely not. That's absurd. I said, yeah, that's the gospel. And that's how we sum up the Old Testament. And then all I did was talk about 
Joshua. Just like God promised to save and redeem Adam and Eve through the Son, so also, do you know that God redeemed the Israelites from slavery? They didn't deserve that, and he sets them free from Egyptian slavery, and then they rebel against him, and they cheat on 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 him, and he just keeps pursuing them, and keeps loving them, and, and keeps going after them, and keeps modeling redemption toward them. I'm like literally like almost on the table in a hotel lobby, okay? And, and like, do you, like, do you understand? Like, that's how you, that's the Old Testament. That's the gospel in the Old Testament. And then I asked him, who was at fault? Was humanity at fault or was God at fault? A whole table of atheists. Humanity was at fault. And then one of the ladies said, I don't even know where I'm at. In my notes, one of the, one of the people said to me, they said, uh, well, I, I want Jesus, but he's going to have to wait. And I said, well, you need to know Jesus doesn't wait. Jesus is king. And she said, you mean to tell me? If I don't profess faith in Jesus, he's going to send me to hell. I said, I will 100%, with 100% certainty, I will say, yes. You could have felt the tension after that one. <laughs> Same tension I felt at the whole table, right? Like, what? Oh, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's why I can never. That's why I don't. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go back to the story. So let me, let me just ask you, uh, in the story that we've talked about in the last couple hours, right? Um, God has pursued, God has redeemed, God has loved, God has been gracious. Humanity has turned from that every single time. Is that what we agreed on? That's what we agreed on. I said, okay. I said, well, I'm, I'm offering you the same thing that God was offering the people of Israel, Adam and Eve. And so why is it God's fault that he loves you so much that he's willing to give you over to your own desires? And your desire in this moment, as you just told me, is that you don't want Jesus, but the offer's on the table. I said, who's at fault here? And they all said, we are. The whole, I mean, five people, man. And, oh, gosh. It's just, I don't know, it's just, I'm sorry. It's just, give me, give me a sec. Pull it together here. <clears throat> all right. Gosh, just their desperate need for redemption. And to see them just look at the cross and say, mm-mm, that's not for me. Look, we're not, in, we're not responsible for who says yes or no. We're just responsible to share the story. That's all he's called us to do, just share the story. I mean, it's heartbreaking and it's hard, but there has to be a a call as well. So Beth, throw this up for me. Gospel fluency without a gospel call reveals a lack of gospel intentionality. A lot of gospel in that sentence. Listen, gospel fluency without a gospel call, that gospel call being, do you believe this or not? Do you want to profess faith in this or not? That is a gospel call. There was nothing weird about it in that scenario. There's nothing awkward in that scenario. There's five atheists and me hanging out in a hotel at two o'clock in the morning. That might be weird for some of y'all, but you got to reorient your life around people, right? So gospel fluency, understanding the gospel as a story, as a meta-narrative without a gospel call, do you believe this, reveals a lack of gospel intentionality. If you have not sat down across the table from someone in your Christian life and said, would you do you actually believe what I'm saying? Would you like to profess faith in this Jesus? Listen, the way you answer that, have you or have you not have done that, is that a regular thing that happens, reveals your gospel intentionality. If the answer is no, I don't do that, listen here, you're not intentional with the gospel. The Great Commission still stands. Whether or not you uh, continue to push that thing forward or not, it, it still stands. It was a Great Commission. It wasn't a suggestion. Commissioning, And just as the rocks will cry out to the glory of the Lord, you better believe God will raise people up in your place and push them out, and he will advance his mission. Amen? Gospel response, third thing I got. Number four, verse four, verse four. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great many of the devout 
Greeks, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Shout out to our godly women. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. They get all up in their fields about this. Verse 6, and when they could not find them, they dragged out Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men, oh my gosh, these men who have turned the world upside down, church, have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is, in fact, another King Jesus. And there is. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So some respond, and some most certainly do not. Again, we're not responsible for how someone responds to the gospel. The reality is, here, just clear the air. Everyone responds to the gospel. It, It demands a response. If you hear it and walk away, that's a response. If you hear it and receive, that's a response. And so in, uh, in this, we have men that respond. We have a lot of women of the faith, which doesn't surprise me. You still see more women committed to the church and to Jesus than you do men. Not changed much there, has it? Um, but you have this religious people contextually responding to the gospel. And some are coming to faith. Like, new life, new life is happening. Regeneration is happening. They've spent their whole life, like, hearing this, that you've got to achieve and earn and do good things. And now Paul is coming with this new teaching man and is resurrecting, like, new life inside of the Stoic temple. They're getting to see people, see their brothers and sisters are responding to the gospel. They're getting to see people respond to, to the Holy Spirit moving in this temple, right? It's just an incredible thing. They're responding because for the last, for thousands of years, They've been told, if you do the right religious work, you'll be saved. If you do good works, God will love you more. Many of you in this room have been taught the same thing. If you do something good, if you do good godliness, then God loves you. And then Paul comes in, and hopefully I come in and anyone else on the stage, and we say, not so. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you can do all the moral good works in the world. They're never going to earn your place back before your father. Period. There's only one who earns your position in the kingdom, and his name is Jesus. And he does good, incredible, perfect works in your place so that whenever you fail, it's not on you. Whenever you fail, there's a cross that stands behind you in a Jesus, and he says, I knew. I knew all along you were not going to achieve this thing. And then he dies. He resurrects to new life, sending you the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes you good. That's what provokes in you and evokes and pulls out of you good works is the Holy Spirit not your actual good works. And so as the Holy Spirit manifests in you in concert with his word and walking out missional community, walking in church community, that's what makes you look more like Jesus, not just reading your Bible and just praying. There's a heart change. There's a regeneration that happens here. Let me ask you, have you, can you genuinely say, oh my God, can we just be real with each other for the next, I'm already over five minutes, so. Let's just be real with each other and then I'll close. Can you genuinely say that you've had a real, genuine heart change in your profession of faith as a Christian? Because the same context that exists for Paul is sitting in this room, sitting right here in this room. We have skeptics that are sitting in the room, thankful that you're here. You would know. You say, no, no heart change. We have professing Christians that if they were honest with themselves are really just skeptics they're just scared of how someone's going to treat them if they tell them the truth. As he prof- I'm talking to professing Christians, Paul went to the 
the Jewish people, the religious first. I'm coming to you, my religious brothers and sisters, and asking you, have you genuinely, as a professing Christian, have you genuinely experienced the heart change where the gospel has so saturated your soul, not just your mind, intellect aside, so saturated your soul that the way you view everything now looks different? The way you view your work, the way you view your family, your parenting, your friends, your lost brothers and sisters, your city, like, does it saturate you to such depth that every aspect of your worldview now looks different? If the answer is no, you're probably not a Christian, or you might just be ignorant to how you're supposed to respond to the gospel. And I don't mean ignorance in a negative way. I'm being serious. This is a real question you need to ask yourself. Intellectually, it doesn't matter if it does not come down and penetrate the depths of your being. And from there, then, Jesus just invokes worship. I mean, worship is what drives mission. If you're not living on mission, it's probably because you're not worshiping Jesus. It's because you're too busy worshiping yourself. Listen, there's something about Paul here that is so incredible where Paul doesn't view being a missionary as a as something he does. Paul views being a missionary as an identity. It's just who he is. This is what the gospel calls us to do. Gospel fluency causes us to have gospel intentionality, which leads us to a gospel response. And that response is, missionary is not just something you do anymore. It's just who you are. Charles Spurgeon would go as far to say, being every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I'm just calling you to ask the question, are you an imposter or not? And no, it's not like a slap on the wrist. It's like, let's just be honest. Here's the deal. We have too much to do the next year to think we're doing it with people who are of the faith that aren't actually of the faith. Like over the next year, right, we're, we're, we're relaunching a capital campaign next year. It's gone great so far. Most of you don't even know about that because of COVID. We're going to be sending Paul out to plant a church in the next year. We're in the process of launching three to four more missional communities. The world is getting turned up on its head by Heights Community. And we need to know. We just need to know. We need to define the relationship. Are you on mission or are you the mission? Pastor David says regularly, you're either on mission or, you're, or you are the mission. And so we just need to know where the sideways energy needs to go before it comes. Too much to accomplish over the next year. How do we do it? How do we accomplish this? How do we turn the world up on its head? Five more minutes and then I'll be done. Tell the Heights kids I said sorry whenever you check them out. If you could throw up this vision frame for me, I'll be quick. This is something we use as pastors and staff um, to decide everything that we do as a church. It's called the vision frame. I know you can't read the small print, so don't try to read it. Just read the big print. The vision frame. This is the best I could do texting Jeff from, you know, 15,000 feet up in the air on a mountain. Vision frame right there in the middle. You see that? You guys see that? Yeah. Okay, at the top you got markers. You see that? Yeah. On the right it says mission. You see that? Down below it says strategy. See that? And then values. This is what we use for every single, we try to use for every single decision that we use. If you've asked us to do something and we said no, it's because we believe it doesn't fit in the frame. Like just like you're taking a picture of something, if you're out of frame, you're out of what? You're out of frame. You're out of the picture. And so whenever you look at this, this mission on there, it says inviting people into the family. That's all we want to do. Very basic, very simple. Strategy, how do we do that? Down at the bottom, you don't need to read it. It says uh, Sunday, it says the primary way that we make disciples is through what? Missional community, which we say every week, and then DNA, which some of you are in. The values then or what? We say it every week. There's three things we're about at Heights Community. What are they? Gospel, community, and mission. We've never wavered on that, not once in seven years. And the markers you're less familiar with, this is what we want you to look like. 
So if you are being intentional with the gospel and growing in your gospel fluency and you're responding to the gospel, our expectation, I know you can't read that, is that you would grow as family. You would understand better what it means to be the family of God, that you would understand hospitality better, that you would start reorienting all of your resources. That's your money, your time, your kids, other people's kids, your household, your very house itself. You'd say, this ain't my house. The Lord has given me this house so that I can live on mission for other people. You would grow in your hospitality, your awareness. You would grow then in what it means to be missionally strategic, that you would be thinking like Paul with this gospel intentionality. You would think, where do I need to go? Who do I need to place myself around? So what if it costs more money? I'll pay the fee to get around this people so that I can share the gospel with them. And then the last one would be story form. That's why we did story formed way, because 99% of the Christians don't actually know the gospel. So we're going to teach you the gospel within our missional communities. Over 300 people went through missional community. Don't think this is all that happens at Heights right here. Okay? Very short-sighted. We have over 350 people now in missional communities throughout the week learning the gospel and being challenged to live on mission. That's how we turn the world up on its head. You with me? If you look at this, lastly, and you think, I'm not about that. I'm not about I'm not going to do that. I know in my heart I'm just not going to do that. Listen, I say this with the most grace and love I can say it with. This is not the church for you to be in. It's not the church. Love you. May God bless you and keep you. This is not the place for you. God has called us to turn, listen, turn the world upside down because people are dying, dude. Like they're, they're preaching like David Seaton. They're dying and going to hell. I need to say it more. This is the way that we challenge that and we push back the gates of hell to see people come to faith. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me. If you are one of those elect, this is a meal that's for, it's for you. Communion says this, uh, reading of God's word says this, in light of communion, for I received from the Lord, Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, listen, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me, listen, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as our time of response, if you'd like to give offering during this time, feel free to do so, most certainly as we enter into uh, communion. Man, when you take communion, it is a reminder of the gospel. It, it, it forces you to reorient around the gospel, forces you to respond to the gospel. He says, this is a new covenant. Take this bread and eat it. It's my body that was broken. Take this cup and drink it. It's a cup, the blood that was spilt out on your behalf. It is a, as you literally, as you ingest this communion, it makes you story formed. It's reforming in you the gospel. For those of you that are in the room that are those professing Christians and you know, like you just know, you just know I'm not actually a Christian. Let me encourage you, don't take communion because in the following verses after this, Paul says, if you take this communion and you're unrepentant, you're actually eating death into yourself. What he means by that is you're hardening your heart to the truth of the gospel, and the gospel will actually become more and more unbelievable to you because you're saying, I believe something, but you're not actually utilizing it. And so stop playing games with it. You can, today, you can repent and you can profess faith in this Jesus as Lord, or you can just be real and say, I'm actually a skeptic. I'm actually not there. And dude, we would love to have that conversation with you. We would love to have that conversation with you. For those of you that are in Christ, this is a meal for you.